The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Nothing much, man. It's full October, full-blown October. We got all this, we got all the major leagues underway officially. NFL's in full swing and hockey basketball started. Baseball's closing in on the World Series. Basketball rankings have came out for college. Football is in full swing. Let's get into it. I'm ready. Thank you for joining me here on Know the Score. You can find Always. Know the Score on CSPN at CSPN.us. You can also find us through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitch Radio. All you have to search for is KTS Pod. That's the CSPN. Subscribe to Know the Score and you'll get new episodes in your podcast queue when they become available. So we're going to start with the NBA. They had their opening night on Tuesday night. The defending champions, the Milwaukee Bucks, got their rings, and they dispatched... Some nice rings, too. Yes, they dispatched of the Brooklyn Nets, the odds-on favorite to come out of the East and represent the Eastern Conference and the NBA Finals this year. Um, but the big news around the Nets early season, preseason, going into the first game, first week of the season, no Kyrie Irving. Uh, the Nets put out a statement uh, maybe about a week before the season started that uh, until Kyrie at least receives one shot, that he will not be a part of the Nets this season. So they were flirting with the possibility of maybe having him play in some selected road games uh, where the vaccination status uh, wasn't as um, wasn't a requirement. Yes. But the Nets were like, nope, if you're not all the way in with us, then you're not going to be with us. So Kyrie Irving uh, is standing up and being the voice for the voiceless in his own words and um, not getting the vaccination as of yet. So just your thoughts on Kyrie and his stance seems to be really digging in and the possibility of this man realistically missing a whole entire season that could end up in the championship due to um, personal beliefs. I mean, he's... On one side, it's, you know, there's two ways to look at it from the um, vaccinated side that what the hell are you doing? We're in a pandemic. Um, this is not going to go away unless you help help the greater good. Or you can look at it as from the other side of the coin that, hey, you doing what you feel is right. Uh, if you don't believe what is presented out there, you are going to do what you know. You're going to take the risk, a higher risk. Uh, but 
what it boils down to is, you know, I don't have me personally. I don't have an issue with how he feels. That's how he feels. I don't, look, my, my stance on this is if you want to get it, get it. If you don't, that's your thing. I'm not going to go into a full-blown debate. Um, I have seen heated debates happen over this, and I just stay back on the sidelines. It's like I'm not going to, as long as you don't come for me, I won't send for you. Um, And this is kind of just like um, the – you know, if you're willing to sacrifice uh, part of your max deal for what you believe in, then and if your pockets are straight, which Kyrie's are definitely straight. I mean, he's got plenty of endorsements. He has plenty of – he's still probably getting residual income from Uncle Drew. Someone's probably buying that DVD or streaming it somewhere. <laughs> so he's getting a cut of that. So – uh, he's going to be fine, and he'll at least be healthy um, in the sense of not going through any, like, basketball, rigorous basketball activity unless, unless um, you know, something does happen while he's doing that. But I am indifferent on it in the grand scheme of things. I just, you know... Will it affect the Nets? Of course. I mean, it doesn't make them as big of a juggernaut as and the trendy pick in the East as many would seem. And we saw the Bucks kind of just reminded us, hey, we're still the champs no matter who is in the building. And we raised our banner. We're going to represent on our ring night. And this is what is going to happen. So that's how I feel about that. Uh, the drama continues down on 95, just a couple hundred miles, as Ben Simmons, who was the um, scapegoat for the 76ers early exit in the playoffs, um, you know, made it clear that he did not want to return to the team. He requested a trade. Uh, Philadelphia was like, nah, he's not available. We're going to work this thing out. Then they tried to trade him, and they couldn't trade him. So they then uh, had kind of a standoff with Ben Simmons. Uh, Ben Simmons started uh, seeing money that he was due and bonuses set aside in escrow so they could deduct it from him if he missed practices in uh, training camp. And after a couple of missed practices in training camp, he decided to come back to the team. Uh, he was there for about a week, and then yesterday, on the eve of their first game, he caused a disruption at practice, got kicked out of the practice, and is suspended for one game. So what do you see the end game being for Ben Simmons, and do you think he is going about getting traded the best way he can handle the situation? This is a royal mess, and the Sixers either need to clear, clean this thing up really quickly, or it's going to be a very, very long season. Because all that's going to happen is you're going to get 
all these questions about Ben this, Ben that. What are you going to do about Ben? Uh, what's the status of Ben Simmons? Is he going to, is Ben Simmons going to be a professional or is he going to be a baby? I mean, he is, he's still relatively young at the end of the day. Uh, how old is he? Like 23, 24? He's probably about 25. He's a little bit older than that. Okay, yeah, so 25, 20, 25, 26. I think he's now. probably about 25, 26. Yeah. So, so he hasn't fully matured yet. Like, he's he's getting up there where he should be doing a lot better in terms of being mature, but he's not there yet. And what happens now? I mean, you already have Joel and B basically saying, I'm not here to babysit Ben Simmons. Um, and Doc Rivers looks like all the work that he did unraveled in that one defensive drill. I mean, yes, Simmons is one of, he is probably their best defender on the ball. I mean, his length is unparalleled, especially being classified as a guard. Um, but... You still got to do the drills. I mean, you're. This isn't going to build any team chemistry. It's going to make things worse. Um, and you and if I'm the Sixers, I would wait until I get a good return on on the trade. And you know the teams that the teams that. Um, Juan Ben Simmons aren't willing to part ways with those pieces that the Sixers are looking for. So, um, unless someone relents on one side or the other, it's going to be a long season in Philly unless Ben Simmons can be professional or if they work things out and just go about their business one way or another. Yeah, I, I I really would wish that guys would just come in and be professional, man, and not cause disruptions to try to get traded. You know, a lot of people probably looking at what Harden did last year with Houston mm-hmm. and kind of how that went and how he, you know, basically came in there, sabotaged the beginning of their season, and nothing really happened to him. He ended up exactly where he wanted to go, didn't feel any loss in his pocket. So, you know, he acted badly and got rewarded for it. And I guess Ben Simmons is kind of maybe using that same strategy uh, to try mm-hmm. to um, expedite uh, his departure out of Philadelphia. But uh, definitely a situation that's going to kind of be over them for the you know beginning of the season for the foreseeable future. That could definitely alter um you know their season as a whole because the people are expecting them to really compete again and be in the mix when it comes to the Eastern Conference this year and um you know you don't need that type of distraction um you know when you're trying to you know be a championship contender you know two of the, two out of the three favorites have you know severe issues right now in the Sixers and the Nets and Brooklyn, I mean, and, and the Bucks, the defending champions are kind of underneath the radar in the East. So it looks like right. everything is kind of going to play into their favor this year. Um, at least the beginning of the season with them, um, you know, being the kind of third team that people think about, but probably having the most harmony and peace uh, going forward. 
Um, some standouts from that uh, first two nights of the NBA. Uh, the Hornets. Let's give a big shout out to those guys. They were getting molly whopped for two quarters. Like they did in, against the same team. Yeah, that it looked just like the playing game. game. <laughs> yeah, it looked exactly like that for a half. And then uh, they they woke up. What was that? A 30, 30 something to nothing run? 24 to nothing yeah. run? Something ridiculous for an NBA game? Right. And they ended up winning by one. Uh, LaMelo Ball putting on a show. So the Hornets, trendy pick for just most exciting, most entertaining team um, with LaMelo Ball and Bridges. Uh, what's the, the rookie's name? Front Roy? Uh you got Boo Knight, uh, James Boo Knight. Yeah, Boo Knight. That's what I'm thinking. And uh, so, yeah, so we've got these, you know, young kids here on the Hornets and everybody's uh, really excited about uh, kind of the excitement that they're going to bring. Uh, the Knicks and the Celtics. And, and then, and okay. then you got a, you got a, when Terry Rose, you're a good Celtic, and you had him to the Knicks as well. Right, right. Knicks and the Celtics played an instant classic uh, double mm-hmm. overtime game. Um, Ugh. To uh, last night, uh, with the Knicks coming out on top, um, uh, just tremendous three point shooting in the overtimes from both teams. Um, 138 134, the Knicks uh, victory in double overtime. So, a very entertaining game uh, for them. The Grizzlies and the Cavs, uh, they had a high scoring affair. Uh, Grizzlies win 132 to 121. Uh, Timberwolves start off the season with the win. Good for them. Pelicans got destroyed by the 76ers. Uh, Zion Williams, um, broken foot, broken bone in his foot. uh, Hasn't had any activity uh, in training camp or preseason. And people have begun to talk about his weight again. And, uh, you know, that being maybe a limitation on his career uh, going forward. Um, let's see. The Jazz start off the season with the win. The Nuggets back hole as a team with Jamal Murray back in the lineup. They got a win yeah. over the Suns, 110 to 98. Um, so those were some of the, you know, meaningful uh, scores. Uh, Cade Cunningham, the first pick in the draft. Uh, let's see what his box score looked like for the other night. Um, did he play? I don't see his name here in the box scores. He plays for Detroit, for, right? Yeah. Yep. I see. Let's see. We got Jeremy Grant. We got some dude named Bay. We got some dude named Stewart. Tadik Bay. Frank Jackson and some point guard named Hayes. Kelly Olenek. Lyle's on the bench. Joseph on the bench. Jackson yeah, on the bench. Yeah, I don't see Seattle. his name there either. Yeah, he's not there. So I don't know if he's hurt or... What I doubt that they would yeah. start him in the D League or G League rather, um, being number one pick. But no, we don't have anything to report for Cade Cunningham. No DMP coach's decision or anything. So curious. Well, let's, yeah. Uh, well, Jalen Green had his first game. He was the number two pick. Um, he plays for Orlando, for, right? Uh, that sucks. Okay. Uh, Jalen Suggs. Uh, Jalen Green plays for he, Houston. Yeah, he's the number. Yeah, he plays for Houston. He had a nine four and four in his uh, first game as a Houston Rocket um, in that Timberwolves loss. Um, since, is, and, 
at what point do the Timberwolves shift away from Carl Anthony Towns, try to stockpile as if, many draft picks as they can for him and just build this thing around Anthony Edwards? If they continue losing and Towns gets frustrated, just like Kevin Garnett and just like Kevin Love. Because we've seen we've seen this before. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, they uh, they got D. Russ, um, Towns, which Towns wanted and Edwards as kind of their big three. And yeah. And they're taking a lot of shots. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, looking at you know, I'm sure you're looking at the box score, too. Uh, they got Pat Beverly in the mix now, too. But yeah. he's suspended for that push by on Chris Paul in the right. Western Conference Finals. Um, so, but yeah, it's going to be a Michael lot of Beasley shots. Beasley plays in Minnesota. Oh my gosh! They know you're still balling. Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah the uh, but yeah, uh, Towns is basically this is basically Towns. Because he wanted D'Angelo Russell there. That's why uh, Wiggins got traded, because Towns wanted Russell there. And then, of course, he of course he threw shade at LaMelo Ball's rookie of the year, believing Anthony Edwards should be there. So he endorses Edwards. Um, I don't like the fact – I like Josh Okogie at, at the three, uh, at the wing. I, I'll say the wing here because – Edwards is the other wing, but I would probably put Torian Prince instead of Jalen McDaniels there. Um, just by I know Jay, I know Jalen is um, or Jaden McDaniels. I should say Jalen plays in Charlotte, but um, I would probably put put um, Torian Prince unless you want instant offense off the bench if that's what they're going for. Which didn't really work out all that great. The odds-on favorite in the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Lakers, with their superstar-loaded, you know, three-sixty lineup, top-heavy uh, team, um, had a ten-point lead in the fourth quarter and gave up the ghosts to Stephen to Stephen Draymond as the Warriors defeated the Lakers by seven. Uh, 121-114 and the opening night matchup uh, between the two squads. Um, Jordan Poole and and uh, Steph Curry, uh, only two players for the uh, Warriors in the 20-point range. Uh, Draymond added six points, Wiggins with 12. Uh, but their bench was really strong. Iguodala was back wow, on that bench so. again. Uh, yeah, Balicia or whatever his name, however you say his name, he was uh, yeah, really, really well. Uh, he really played. Yeah, by Lisa, Damon Lee, Damian Lee, and Iguodala. Yeah. yeah, they they had a real strong effort off the bench. Uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis both scored thirty points, over thirty points. But Russell Westbrook, everybody wanted to uh, kind of see how he would fit in, kind of the piece that doesn't fit in this whole uh, experiment. With a round peg the in the square hole. Yeah, uh, four for thirteen, zero for four from three point line. Uh, only four assists, four fouls, five rebounds, eight points. Definitely yeah. not the impact 
that people expected Russell uh, Westbrook to have joining LeBron and uh, AD in the starting lineup. Um, at, at least he didn't take 30 shots and have eight points. <laughs> well, I mean, if Anthony Davis is going to take 26 and LeBron is going to take 23, ain't too right. many more shots for him to get. I mean, those 13 was <laughs> hard hard to come by. Right. Um, I was Carmelo. talking – yeah, Carmelo was three for nine with nine points off the bench, leading scorer off the bench. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I said that the Lakers would probably be best to run some type of system offense this year because Russell Westbrook isn't the type of player where he's going to pass the ball off and move around and get open shots. He's gonna pass the. He's either gonna dribble the ball a lot and pass it to you late and make somebody have to rush a shot. He's gonna try to drive all the way to the basket and take his own shot, or he's gonna pass the ball and stand in one place and wait for you to pass it to him so he can break three pointers. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very well, I mean, curious. OKC is OKC is Burktown, so. I can understand. He all the uh, I always kind of, I always joked on him how Russell Westbrook built Bricktown with all the bricks he did in Oklahoma City. And he started a new tradition in L.A. This would be a very good time to have Jason Kidd back on this staff, and they implement some elements of that Princeton offense that he used to run with the Nets. Uh, you know, back in the uh, early 2000s, because mm-hmm. that would force Russell Westbrook to have to move move himself and the ball. That yeah. particular style of offense, and and he could get so many easy baskets by just cutting, you know, pass the ball, cut through, run through, set a screen, cut off of another screen. And, you know, it would it would allow him to affect the game more after the ball left his hands, because as we've seen. Westbrook is ball dominant. LeBron is ball dominant, and AD's going to need his shot, and he's ball dependent. So, uh-huh. you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a heck of a, a coaching job by, um, oh my God, yeah. Google, uh, to get these guys kind of going in the right direction um, here and early. David Fisdale is the top assistant, so. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be very tough for the Lakers to um, night in and night out be consistent on their offense just with, you know, Westbrook is going to have so many Jekyll and Hyde nights um, based on the team that they're playing and the lineups that he's playing with. I'm thinking what's going to end up, but because they got Rondo coming off the bench, it's almost like they're going to start Westbrook, take him out a little bit early, and then have him come in with Rondo and be the shooting guard with Rondo, seems like that would work a little bit more. But they got Malik Monk coming off the bench. They got Avery Bradley coming off the bench as well. So yeah. it just feels like Russell Westbrook would be more suited to like be the point guard on the second team where he could hold the ball and take off the shot right. instead of for the starting five. But, you know, we'll see what kind of happens with that chemistry moving forward. Um, now for some just uh, awards and predictions uh, for the NBA season. Uh, first of all, who do you think is going to be the MVP of the league this year? MVP of the league is... 
it's gonna be you always gotta have Giannis in the conversation um and it's really hard to go against what Nikola Jokic has done especially now with Jamal Murray being back um I'll probably go with the safe pick. I'm gonna say Giannis just because, just because of the things that his relentlessness and also if his shot, if his outside shot gets really consistent, watch out. Personally, I think Giannis should just go ahead and continue to do what he was doing in the finals and just put your two feet in the paint and just dominate and be a traditional center and revigorate big man play. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, that's what I think his best bet would be to go for. I mean, I know everybody is enamored with the stretch four and the stretch five and your big guys being able to step out and spread the floor and create space and all that type of stuff. But, man, you saw how effective that was in the finals. And if he improves his free throw shooting, I don't know why he wouldn't just want to live in the paint. Yeah. But the thing is, though, the the MVP is for the regular season. This is true. And, And... the playoffs are a whole different thing. And in the regular season, in the playoffs, I agree with totally. Put them in the paint because it's a half-court game in the playoffs. It's more free-flowing, transition, and we see the high scores that are going on in on opening in these first couple of games. So that's where I think when you do have those when you have those kind of games you do have to stretch the floor a little bit more but I agree I mean I'm a traditionalist when it comes to the big man I I really think I really do wish we would have a back to the basket big man and Giannis probably would be the guy for that however I do know where the game is right now and that big man on defense is a liability because a lot of teams don't want to drive to the hole. And, not, and, you know, a lot of course analytics say either three or a shot up close, but a lot of people ain't really going in up close because that big man's a liability. And if you have somebody that can stretch the floor, he's a sitting duck. Uh, who do you think is going to get the Rookie of the Year this year? Ah, Rookie of the Year. I would have to say that is going to go to Jalen Suggs. Uh, he's going to get a lot of opportunity in Orlando. And with that opportunity, I think he has a chance to flourish. Uh, the Magic may not win a lot of games right now. However... Uh, the opportunities that Jalen Suggs uh, will get here, I think, gives him an edge. I think Jalen Green and Evan Mobley will be contenders for that, but Suggs has the best opportunity, and that's why 
album going with him for rookie of the year. Who was he running with in Orlando? Who who was some of his uh who are some of his mates? All right, so we're looking at the roster for the Magic. Uh, you have you have uh, Cole Anthony. Okay. Uh, so there's your point guard right there. You have Mo Bamba in the middle. Uh, Wendell Carter's there. Uh, and then off the bench, you have R.J. Hampton, Terrace Ross. And then once they get healthy, you have uh, Gary Harris. He's one more there, too. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, him and Cole Anthony yeah. could, hopefully, if they can coexist as backcourt, they could be yeah. the start of something for Orlando. It could get them a, a nice place to, to restart their rebuild because, man, Orlando has been irrelevant here for quite a while. Yeah, and then and then you got the Wagner brothers from Michigan, uh, Mo and Franz, on the same team as well. So. so is Kobe White no longer on the Bulls? He in the D League? The G League? I don't see him on this roster here. I want to say he is either in the G League or he got shipped somewhere. Oh, that sucks, uh, man. Because Billy, Billy, Billy Donovan, Donovan. That's right. Yeah, Billy Donovan is um, basically he's the Lonzo Ball fits with the uh, Bulls. Like he is his. Um, his style of play with what Billy Donovan wants to do on offense is like a fit. Uh, Kobe White's injured. Okay, good. Um, but I like the like the newcomers: Lonzo Ball, Tony Bradley, Alex Caruso. Um, they, I think the Bulls can definitely be a dark horse. Um, that's definitely that's definitely going to be the team to watch. Uh, they're building the roster very nicely. Uh, so if anybody has any dream of all three Ball brothers coming to Chicago or Charlotte, right? Or Charlotte, I should say, this is not gonna ha- gonna happen right now. <laughs> it's not happening anytime soon. Lonzo is Lonzo's even said on numerous occasions like. He he's a ball dominant guard. The offense kind of gives him that chance to be that ball dominant guard um, and set up his teammates, be a nice player, get the shots off that he he can select on, and his shot has improved so much too. So um, the work that he's put in is really starting to pay off. Well, there it is, folks. NBA action is fantastic. And uh, we got one more thing for you to predict. Who do you think is going to win it all and hold up that big gold trophy in June at the end of the season? I want to say if Clay comes back healthy, look out for the Warriors. I think they'll have one more run in them. I think that last year with... Steph being the you know the lone star, I mean Draymond pitching in whenever he could, but I think what it really did was empowered the other guys on the team, like Jordan Poole, man, give him gave mm-hmm. him a lot of confidence because he stepped up big and a lot of those games coming down the stretch to kind of be like Steph's de facto running mate as far as you know scoring volume goes. 
Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, they've got Iguodala back, you know, for the bench, the defense. Um, they're trying to work in Otto Porter Jr., who I think is shooting off the bench, will eventually uh, be a big plus because uh, when the Warriors yes. were at their best, that's kind of where they beat you. Their bench was uh, far superior to most teams. They didn't have uh, a significant drop-off uh, when it came to the right. shooting that was on the bench and just the ability of those players to extend leads and, and keep leads uh, where they were. So I think that if um, – What's the kid that they picked last year? Wiseman. If Wiseman come, when Wiseman yeah. comes back, um, mm-hmm. healthy and improved, uh, to kind of you know give them some a presence as far as scoring in the center position, and like you said, um, you know Clay comes back healthy. Whenever that's going to be, I guess it's going to be in about two or three months. Um, yeah. Then yeah, the Warriors definitely have a lineup um, that could definitely cause people a lot of problems. Uh, of course, the biggest thing is going to be injury. Um, if Steph, you know, can have another season where he plays a uh, majority of the season uh, relatively injury-free, um, mm-hmm. you know, it could definitely be uh, a, another special season, you're right, for the Warriors uh, moving forward. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, the trendy pick, of course, and the odds favorite, say the Lakers, my thing is, when teams stack the deck like this, the deck always crumbles. I go back to 04, when the Lakers stacked the deck, Shaq, Kobe, Peyton, Malone, and everybody was just on. They were Everybody was just on picking the Lakers. And they, they almost, they won the West. They won the West, but they got popped in the mouth by the Pistons in the finals. Um, so my concern is when teams sack the deck, I said this with Brooklyn too. I did not, and, you know, injuries did happen to the Nets um, in that series against Milwaukee, but they didn't get they didn't get it done at the end of the day. So... That's where I sit on that. But I really think, though, I really, my pick will be the Warriors just because of all the reasons you said and all the reasons we did discuss. We're going to move on to Major League Baseball. We're in the playoffs here, the National League and American League Championship Series. Where the Atlanta Braves, Dwayne's yeah. favorite team, and Who? the Houston yours, and oh, I know, and uh, <laughs> the Houston Astros are both one victory away from claiming their respective pennants. The Braves, uh, shockingly, have a three to one lead over the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Dodgers coming off that seven-game series against the Giants, uh, two best teams in the history of baseball as far as wins go, going up against one another, seven-game series. Uh, five. Oh, excuse me, five-game series. 
Dodgers pull it out. Max Scherzer comes in, gets the save, uh, starts game two, has to be lifted out of game two because he's got a dead arm. What do you know? Uh, Houston Astros win game one, then get pounded back-to-back games two and three, then have come back to win the last two and are now on the verge of heading back to the World Series. Um, Definitely a lot of vindication uh, for Houston, if they can come back and win this World Series this year after all the drama with the, um, you know, the, the stealing All of because signs, of Dusty. The stealing of the signs and things like that. Yeah, Dusty Baker has definitely uh, came in and brought a level of uh, professionalism and, yes, and leadership and, like you said, integrity. And they've just gone out and played baseball. You know, you heard a lot about it in the beginning of the season uh, with, you know, teams throwing at those guys and and retaliating. But, I mean, Dusty had them go out there. They, you know, didn't cause too many skirmishes. You didn't see too many altercations with Houston players, you know, exciting anything. They took their little punishments the first time around. And uh, they they played very good baseball all year. And, uh you know, Correa and Altuve do what they do in a postseason, man. They just come up big. I mean, it was like very surprising that they got boat raced uh, in two games, uh, one in Houston and then one in Boston. But uh, they've kind of—I'm not surprised by that footing underneath them. I'm not surprised by the those games two and three because look at the Boston manager is Alex Carr, who was part of that scandal as well. So he knows those guys. Right. Um, he knows the core of that team, so um he got, you know, he won a World Series <laughs> literally the year after the year after he came didn't he win the World Series like the year after he came back? Right, yep. And so so I really think that and when it comes down to it, you know, like I, I, everything you said, they, these guys did take, they took, they took it on the chin. They took every body's, um, virtual basically. I mean, I'll never forget that chin in the, that, that fuck Altuve chin in the Bronx. Like, like that was so deafening, but they definitely, I really, you know, I really want Dusty Baker to win the World Series. He's come close so many times, and all the regular season successes that he has had with San Francisco, with well, not with Washington because they're at all East team, but um, seeing San Francisco win it after he left, and unfortunately Washington won it after he left. Um, you know, this is this you know. I'm sure he's probably wondering how much he has left in the tank managing, but he's having fun. And, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why he has had so many stints and so many such longevity because he has fun and the players feed off of that. Right. Right. Uh, Atlanta, um, bouncing back after losing Ron Cunha Jr. Uh, right before the All-Star break. Um, barely survived the NL East. They were leaking oil coming down to the end. But they uh, they, they got the Division One. Uh, looked very good in their uh, opening round 
uh, series and uh, have continued on here against the Dodgers. And it's just a surprise. But, you know, like I said, the Dodgers have basically spent themselves out to try to not only eliminate the rivals. Yeah, not only to make to win the wild card game, but then to also play um, the Giants as well. So, um, yeah. They have got to find a way to uh, just play one more game. You know, basically, that's all you can do at this point when you're facing elimination. The Braves need to learn how to close the job since they blew a 3-1 lead the last time they were in this position. Yeah, they had a big lead the other night uh, in game uh, three. Three. And Mm -hmm. uh, let it get away from them or the series could have been over last night. So, um Braves with a spectacular uh, job with their bullpen last night. They had a bullpen game. They didn't have one of their top starters out, and they got out to Yeah, Freddie Freeman's already. Yeah, he blasted one. Not about two nothing. Yep, he, he Freddie Freeman is like he went zero for eight to start the series and has been like unable to get put out since. Yeah. Yeah, basically setting up going back to that MVP form from a couple of years ago. So I was really hoping it was gonna be Atlanta and Boston just due to the same thing with Atlanta and Milwaukee, just the the tie ins of the history. The Braves tie in. Yeah. Uh for both Boston. of the teams and you know and yeah. then, you know, for all the years that the Braves were in Boston and then moved to Milwaukee and into Atlanta, it would have been kinda of cool if the Braves went through the World Series and the playoffs facing, you know, the two teams that were kind of their uh, predecessors uh, carry the same name. So, um, doesn't like it's going to be the case, though. Houston and, and Boston, they play their uh, next game on Friday, and we'll see if uh, Boston can extend it out to one more day. Uh, like I said, that's kind of the anthem and the mantra that you take when you're facing eliminations. Just do what we can to play one more game. And, uh, you know, if you can do that over enough times, you maybe can uh, do something special. Yeah. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm here with my co-host, Dwayne. We're brought to you by the CSPN. Now we're going to move over to a little bit of college football. Them dogs, the Georgia Bulldogs, they took over the number one spot. In college football, after Alabama lost to Texas A and M two weeks ago, you, you know what was crazy about that? We were talking about how Alabama just dominated everybody, and then they lose that weekend to Texas A and M. Right, right. Um, Texas A and M um, jumped out to a big lead. Alabama's defense was not very good this particular night, uh, but Alabama uh, rallied late, uh, got the game into overtime, and Texas A and M was able to. I score a touchdown in overtime and get the win over uh, Alabama. So Georgia, who was number two uh, with nine players on defense that will probably be drafted in the NFL between the first and second rounds, uh, has taken over the number one spot. Uh, they beat Kentucky last week. Kentucky, who had got into the top five uh, in college football, uh, they were undefeated until last week. The thing that scares me about Georgia going all the way is their offense isn't that particularly explosive. Um, their mm-hmm. defense is definitely suffocating and can it's hold like you down. like the 2,000 Ravens. Right, can hold you down. But if you can stop their running game and they're like five running backs that they run out there every game, if you can do well against their running game, I don't think their quarterback's going to beat you. Yeah, they don't have that game. They don't have that Jake Fromm or – that game-changing quarterback that 
they've had in the past, like an Aaron Murray, something of that sort. Um, yeah, it, it just doesn't – I don't see that right yeah. now out of their current quarterback. Right. Like, the defense, for sure, you could say, yes, Georgia – you know, uh, but if they ever run up against an experienced quarterback or a team with, you know, some high level NFL talent, if they, like they've got nine guys that they get drafted on defense, if they, if they run up against a team that's got like nine guys who can get drafted from offense, I like to really see that because, you know, I think that that would be their one vulnerability is if it got into a, a high scoring game, would they be able to keep up? Yeah. Not that they're going to play too many high-scoring games with their defense, but, you know, every year there's going to be one of these outlier games and, you know, they're going to have to score. And their defense isn't going to be so dominant. And can their quarterback uh, make that happen? So that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, But if you cannot stop the run, you are going to have a long day against Georgia because uh, they'll get to the point in the game where they'll just be like, okay, we're just going to run this until you stop it. They're going to basically just navy you to death. Right, exactly. Um, Iowa, they go down to Purdue after being ranked number two in the country, uh, coming off an emotional win the week before against Penn State at home, uh, where Penn State was in control of the game until their quarterback went down. Then Iowa was able to rally and get the win. So they got moved up to number two, and then Purdue came in and just housed them. Um, Purdue led wire to wire. Their defense forced like Four turnovers. I was kind of watching this game and the UNC Miami game at the same time last weekend. Uh, but yeah, Purdue was very impressive. I think that one of their receivers had like double digit catches for over 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Uh, just a thumping by Purdue. Very convincing yeah. win over Iowa. Yeah. And not only to lose like that, you lose like that at home. That's just, that's just unforgivable when you. Look, when you think about the playoff at this point, like right. you literally just torpedoed yourself out of any kind of consideration. Bad enough you lost. It's worse you lost at home, and then you lose like that at home. Because what if Purdue loses to a outlier, like a bad Big Ten team at the next point? There, that's going to make Iowa's loss look even worse. Right, right. Uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats. They're currently ranked number two in the nation. The best football team in Cincinnati. (laughs) And they are looking to crash the big boy playoff party. Um, I hope they do. Their schedule looks favorable, but the thing about it is, is they're going to get points taken away for the conference. Like, you know, Notre Dame has to keep winning. And some of these uh, decent teams that they have beat – need to keep winning because if they have any, like if Notre Dame goes and loses to USC, then it's going to hurt them when the computer rankings come out, you know? So the teams that they've played and have beaten, they need to kind of, you know, uh, finish uh, the rest of the season on a good note for Cincinnati to have a chance to be the first uh, outlier of the Power Five Conference to make the college football playoff. Um, This is kind of the thing that will probably generate – finally the tipping point to move this thing to eight or six or whatever they want to do to expand. Uh, I hope they I don't. don't. I know that they have the contract through like 2024 or 2026 before they can like revisit it, but this will definitely, if Cincinnati keeps somebody from a major conference out, yeah, 
the, the the expansion talks will ramp up very quickly. Yeah, which is going to be disappointing. Um, it's inevitable, but still disappointing at the end of the day. And the reason why I say that is, is, you know, on stuff like use when the until now, like we didn't really have parity or unpredictability. It was always we had like three years of the same two teams in the final, mm-hmm. right? And that was like if you expanded to eight. And this is where it's so different from basketball because basketball is such a crapshoot like any like you can have a team that is loaded with talent but they can lose to a team that's been established together college football most of these teams are establishing together and they have talent that is establishing together and when you put eight teams in there is basically a lot of it is a foregone conclusion so you know it's gonna happen yes unfortunately but it's gonna just look really bad when you expand it to eight and it's always gonna be the top four teams moving on with the rare four five upset or five four upset and then what does it do for the bowl games? Uh, which bowls are going to get it? Things of that sort. Blah blah blah. I really like um, the thought of them expanding it to eight, saying that okay, you've really got six power conferences. You know what I'm saying? Not really five because they don't want to give no love to the Pac-10 and the Big Twelve, but they need to get those two in. And then with the last two spots, that can be like your at-large bids for a Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina or, you know, one of these um, non-power five or six conference schools that deserve to at the least. The group of five and yeah, all that. Yeah, that, that deserve to at least have a chance to play. Now, you know what I'm saying? It may be ugly. It may not be a contest. And after, like you said, after a couple of years of seeing that where, oh, my gosh, the eighth team is just, you know, getting obliterated every time. But, you know, before people stop not wanting to see it. But just, a, you know, just an opportunity, I think, for football would be – enough of a draw for a couple of years to keep people okay with it if they went to eight. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it took it took how many years for a 16 to be the one? <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, uh, Ed Ogeron and LSU have agreed to part ways after the season. Uh, Ed was on the hot seat after last year, but he got a stay-up execution. It uh, started out pretty slow this year, uh, and the rumbling started again. Um, they beat Florida last weekend, and then it, it came out that they had agreed to part ways after the season. Apparently, Ed Ogeron had kind of like let the culture and the um, discipline and the um, morality of the yeah of the program kind of go astray 
during his tenure here the last couple of years. And uh, I guess the LSU administration is trying to get a rein, uh, rein that back in. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of players charged with sexual assault underneath uh, Ed Ogeron's uh, tenure. Um, him himself, you know, his personal life has really uh, become a, a thing of um, great magnification uh, at LSU, um, you know, get, being divorced from his wife, um, you know, kind of out here gallivanting, hitting on donors, wives and things like that. So, yeah, Ed Ogeron is a, is a wild boy, apparently, to the uh, according to these reports that came out uh, after this announcement was made. Oh. Some donor was like, he got to go or I'm pulling my check. <laughs> yep. So, you can't be hitting on my wife now. Yeah, so uh, LSU will be looking for a new head coach. Of course, everybody is already thinking about Jimbo Fisher, uh, maybe Dabo Sweeney, um, you know, the usual suspects when uh, top top programs like LSU come available. Um, but it would be interesting yeah. to see kind of which way they go, if they maybe want to reach up to NFL to see if they can bring Joe Brady back. And uh, give him, you know, full reign over the program if that was something that he would like to do. Or has he gotten spoiled by, you know, the NFL and chasing that maybe dream of becoming an NFL head coach? Um, uh, But it'll be interesting to see who they kind of choose from when it comes to their coaching uh, pool. Um, What's the kid? uh, Kevin Falk. I think Kevin Falk is a coach, assistant coach somewhere. Uh, Kevin Falk. Yeah. Former Patriots, Kevin Falk. Yeah. And uh, I uh, thought I saw him coaching, or he's on somebody's staff in college. And I, think, I know Antonio Pierce is at Arizona State under yeah, her bed. Yeah, he's their defensive coordinator. Yeah. yeah, he's a running backs coach, Kevin Fall. Yeah, yeah. So maybe at LSU, yeah, LSU right? Yeah, yeah. His, uh, yeah. I think they had something in their family, uh, a family tragedy or something, where he had to kind of step away a couple of games into the season. But uh, I wonder if they would maybe consider him. Uh, as oh, his daughter coach. passed away. That's what happened. Yeah, if they would consider, um, you know, making maybe him the head coach, a guy who played at LSU, understands the culture there. I think he's actually mm-hmm. from that area as well. Um, yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, another chance for a young black coach to to get into a prominent position at a major school uh, that he has yeah. uh, ties with. Um, not. Any really uh, good matchups this week in college football, at least not head-to-head top 25 matchups. Um, there were a couple of ups. There was an upset, though, as Appalachian State defeated Coastal Carolina, who was uh, 14th in the country, 30-27. to uh, And a very entertaining State game. doing it again. Yeah, very entertaining game on Thursday night. Um, we'll just talk about some of these surprising teams like Wake Forest, at number 16, 6-0, uh, currently the best team in the ACC. Oklahoma State, 6-0, number 8 uh, in the country. Uh, they're going to Iowa State, so be on the lookout for upset alert there. That's a tough place to play on the road. Uh, Michigan, looks like they finally found a quarterback, but we won't know until the last game of the season, of course, when they play Ohio State. <laughs> uh, but they're 6-0 uh, going up against Northwestern this weekend. Uh, Oklahoma shouldn't be 7-0, but they are. Uh, kind of went away from Spencer Rattler after he struggled against Texas in the first half. They've gone to their backup quarterback, and it looks like he's uh, going to be the man for the job here for a little while. I'll yeah, see. Spencer Rattler wasn't happy about that. <laughs> about not Oklahoma's quarterback, and then he took it off. 
I mean, you can't come out here and and to have them turnovers like he was having in that Texas game when your coach is like, dude, we can overcome anything you do except for turn the ball up. Right. So, yeah. And then on top of that, your coach is a quarterback whisperer. Like, come on now. <laughs> right. You're making me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, San Diego State, they're 6-0. Uh, they're going to have a very interesting game as they're going up against Air Force, which is 6-1. and one. So that should be a, a highly entertaining game, if if nothing else. Um, That's the Mountain West, right? Yes, sir. Uh, Pittsburgh, and their number one ranked offense in the ACC, is going against Clemson, and their number ranked number one ranked defense in the ACC uh, for a very intrig- intriguing matchup. Um, this could probably put the nail in Clemson's season. They've got two losses right now, haven't really looked good and any of the wins that they've had either. And this is probably the most complete team they've played since the Georgia game beginning of the season. Um, yeah, you know, Dabo Sweeney, you, you, you know, falling on those hard times when you don't get that quarterback or that recruit at quarterback doesn't pan out as, as well as you thought he would, um, no matter how good yeah. your defense is, you know, Clemson is yeah, they got spoiled, and now Clemson is Clemsoning again. I mean, think about it, dude. They went from Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that's a pretty good run, dude. Yeah. That's a really good run. and That's like a good 12 years. Yeah, and then, you know, I think DJ is going to be a good quarterback. It's just that his learning curve has been a lot slower than the guys I mentioned before. Um, mm-hmm. Especially the guy he followed. Right. And not to mention, I mean, look at all the talent offensively that they've lost skill position-wise. At the end. Yeah. But the talent they do have, like, Justin Ross should be a whole lot better as a leader on that side of the ball. And he's really not lived up to that, which is going to hurt his stock if you really think about it. I mean, I think he has one more year left, but... Yeah, if he was to like lead, try to leave this year, I don't see it for him like in the first round because he could have really like been the vocal leader, try to get his quarterback, you know, give his quarterback more love and encouragement. And I just haven't seen that from him. Um, so and it's kind of disappointing because I do like his game a lot. As we're closing out October, moving into November, there's only a few, a handful of weeks left in the Scottish football regular season. Uh, the um, the playoff uh, standings are going to come out in about two or three more weeks, uh, and then things are really get interesting. So college football is definitely about to start ramping up here uh, as we head out of October and into November. Speaking of things heating up in the NFL. Uh, it had kind of quieted down for a little while since the season had started. But now, this week, it seems like, as we're getting closer to the trade deadline, that the talks are on again between Miami and Houston as uh, Miami is looking to acquire Deshaun Watson uh, via trade. Um, but the catch is that Houston doesn't want anything to do with Tua in return, so they're in search of a <laughs> Davis Mills is balling out right now. Because <laughs> 
And you know what, dude? That is the dude I want in Washington to draft. Oh, I, oh, we missed <laughs> on him, dude. And he, like, we could have got him in the second round. Could have got him in the right. third round. But I watched Stanford play like three games last year. And I was like, you know what? This Mills kid looks good. He's tall. He's poised. He throws a good ball. He plays he at Stanford. Smart. He's smart. Right. And even just looking at that Thursday night game, his first start, like the Panthers defense was going after him. He was as cool as a cucumber. Yeah, so and, and so I think they really found a they found a hidden gem there and yeah, like you said, Houston they don't want nothing to do with Tua. Miami <laughs> so, doesn't want anything to do with Tua. Oh, Miami, yeah. So Miami So, yeah, so Tua so. is kinda out here, um, you know, kinda Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he definitely doesn't have any love. Uh, from that organization in Miami, uh, not to mention, you know, his health has always been a question uh, ever since he got into the league. And, you know, he hasn't done much to stop to make people stop questioning his health as he's already mm-hmm. missed a handful of games this year. Um, but who would you think would emerge as that third team? There's a lot of rumors that Washington uh, would be that third team, but uh, reports have kind of cooled that down and said that Washington uh, was not – uh, involved in any talks uh, among these two teams is about, about acquiring Tua. So who do you think the third team that he would fit well with um, that could maybe jump in here and acquire uh, a young quarterback? I'm going to go down this really quick here. So Buffalo, no. New England, no. The Jets, no. Baltimore, hell no. Cincy, hell no. Pittsburgh, well, maybe. maybe as a backup. But I think Pittsburgh should go after the newly vaccinated Cam Newton. Yes. That would be a good that would be a good landing spot. I I did see Cam's video and basically basically he's just looking for the right deal for him. So <laughs> he's gotten offers, but He's looking for the right fit. He's at, he's at um, home for like the last month and a half and going, boy, I got babies and a wife. Got to get back out here right. with these chicks. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, Cleveland. Cleveland could be one because they're not really sold on Baker. And they've been trying to get Jimmy. But. And trying to give up Odell to San Francisco for Jimmy Garoppolo, but San Francisco is like that. That price is too steep, and that's been the issue with a lot of teams when the Cleveland trying to deal Odell. And plus, I don't think Cal Shanahan works well with big personalities like that. I think he wants he to doesn't. be the biggest personality on his team, and him and Odell definitely <laughs> would. Case in point, Richard Sherman. Yeah, him and Odell would definitely head, but a lot. When it came to certain yeah. things, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's out. Um, Houston doesn't want them. Indy's good with Carson. Jacksonville's got Trevor Lawrence. They need a new head coach. Um, Tennessee's good with Tannehill. Um, the West, you got Teddy B in Denver, uh, who's actually been doing well, even though he got hurt and Drew Lott took back over. Um, and even then, I think they go with Drew Locke. 
Um, <laughs> definitely not Kansas City. Uh, they're there with Patrick Mahomes for the long haul. Um, Derek Carr, he's already got a backup in Marcus Mariota in Vegas. Justin Herbert has shown he's the future for the Chargers. So we can go to the NFC. Um, Dallas has that. Philly has Jaden, uh, Jalen Hurts. The Giants are committed to Daniel Jones for whatever reason. Um, like, it makes sense for us to do it, but it doesn't at the same time because he hasn't quite proven enough to be like, yeah, let's go take a flyer on him when we could just draft somebody yeah. and kind of like be in the same spot. He hasn't proven enough, and I don't think Ron is going to – Ron tweaked his offense once for a player. I don't think he's going to do it again. Because, um, you know, he did it for Cam, and he did that for several years, um, him and his offensive coordinators. And then I don't see him kind of revamping the playbook for two skill set. It just doesn't work. Um and then Chicago, they got Justin Fields, so they're they're set. Uh, Detroit has Derek Goff, um, who's hasn't won a game yet. Um, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, uh, they're good with him. You could make a case for Aaron Rodgers, but Jordan Love is waiting in the wings. Aaron Rodgers is on his last dance. With the Packers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is going to San Francisco, I think. And San Francisco or Denver seems to be kind of the... Or retire. <laughs> well, you know what? Could be the Dark Horse. Could be Pittsburgh. <laughs> like, Ben goes his and retires or whatever. Uh, uh, this last year, his contract or whatever. And they don't have that big money to pay Ben. They could get Aaron Rodgers on like a two-year contract real big money yeah. and try to just you know just go for it one last time yeah um so yeah so this goes to the south um uh, Atlanta maybe uh cause Matt Ryan's on the twilight and they really don't have anybody behind them really um, they got um, uh, Franks, Felipe Franks from Miami. Uh, excuse me, Florida. Uh, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe. I'm not. He, he is okay. I'm not. I wasn't really sold on my Florida. Um, personally. And that's not because of the Miami thing, but um, like, I would just think he had he had moments, and they were, and a lot of those moments are like lucky moments to me. Like, and but I can see the chemistry with Kyle Pitts since they did play together, so that that could be a factor there that they would commit to him. Um, but uh, Carolina could be a spot, but they're not going to just throw they're not going to throw Sam Darnold away. So even with his struggles right now. I know we talked about we talked about that before the show recorded. Um, New Orleans, uh, they're gonna stick with Jameis. Um, I think you could probably bring him in and put him over Taysom Hill. 
since we have deemed that Taysom is not <laughs> ready to be a quarterback. Uh, and then, of course, Taylor Baker died. Unless Tom Brady gets hurt. Um, that's which with offensive line, he's never going to get hurt because they literally build a campsite for him. So that's out. So that brings us to the West. Um, and when I think about the West, <laughs> there's really nothing there. I mean, Arizona's got Kyler. Um, Russell Wilson, obviously, in Seattle. Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay have a great bromance going on in L.A. on the Rams side of SoFi. And the 49ers are playing revolving quarterbacks uh, with injuries with Garoppolo and Lance. So I still think in his heart of hearts, even though the winning percentage would tell you different, that whenever he plays and finishes games, San Francisco usually wins. But I still don't think Kyle Shanahan likes that dude, and he will move away from him at the chance, the first chance he gets this offseason. That's why I wish that they would have put it out a little bit sooner than right up against the draft that they were looking to get a quarterback. So Washington could have maybe made a move and tried to get Garoppolo from him. But that wouldn't happen because uh, Kyle Shanahan is just petty enough to be like, hell no. I don't want to see Washington, Washington. Washington do anything well. So, no, y'all cannot do this. John Lynch, don't talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of uh, talking and Washington football team, um, John Gruden, he was the fall guy from uh, emails that were published uh, that were found during uh, the investigation into the Washington football team front office and the culture and the mistreatment of women and um, other accusations uh, that were levied against Dan Snyder and uh, the people who run the team. Um, we haven't really heard anything about what was in the emails from the Washington side, but we do have correspondence between Bruce Allen and John Gruden, Bruce Allen, Adam Schefter, Bruce Allen and Jeff Pash, the basically number two man in control of the NFL. He's like their legal counsel and everything. Um, Daniel Snyder out here on a campaign to uh, show everybody that Bruce Allen is a horrible human being and the person who was uh, most responsible for the bad culture in Washington and also the mole that uh, nobody could figure out who was always leaking these stories to the national media hours before games and uh you know Bruce Allen was that guy yeah so Dan Snyder is out here trying to prove that Bruce Snyder was that guy um John Gruden collateral damage and all of this um you know him and the Allen family uh have ties going all the way back to the Tampa Bay days um so what do you think about, you know, the way that John Gruden's career has come to an end and abruptly? Uh, yes. And just kind of going forward into, uh, you know, what you think? Why wasn't Snyder told to give up his team the way Jerry Richardson was? That's a good question. Um, I think it's more of the region. I think that people in because you you know you you 
you're you're a Carolina boy. I am a Carolina. I was a, I've been bred in Carolina. I wasn't born in Carolina, but I definitely say I'm Carolina bred. So we both know this, and we learned this even back in the George Shin days of the original Hornets. Um, then turned Pelicans, and they get the anyway. Um, image is everything in the South. Exactly. So if you're the face of the franchise, which, you know, you're the primary investor, you're the owner, if you do something bad, that region will not fuck with you at all. George Shin had the sexual assault case in the 90s. What happened to the Hornets? Went from number one in attendance, selling out the Charlotte Coliseum for 360 plus straight nights. Or somewhere in that ballpark figure. To leaving the city for New Orleans. Jerry Richardson had all this stuff go against him. Yes, he brought the team to the Carolinas. Thank you. We're happy that you did that for us. But you are putting a black eye on our city and in our region. You got to go. Because those two teams are the only two, um, well, three, three, really th- one of the, two of the three teams in that Charlotte area and Metrolina region and the Carolinas altogether. You know, you want to have a you you need a your players as well as your ownership to have a good image, and image is everything in the South. That's why Jerry Richardson was swiftly gone. I think I think the people in the region kind of accelerated that process. Process, honestly. Um, with Washington, though, there it's a city with a huge metropolitan area. There, the attention of the people that live there is diverted. You know, look how long it took for them to get rid of the um, the uh, slur for their name. Mm-hmm. You have you had they were also and you know the historic like and also Snyder's defiance of keeping that name because that's what he grew up on. That's what he wanted. And he was very defined in that as well. Um there's not as swift because their their attention, the people in the market, their attentions are diverted. I mean, sports wise, you have the Wizards, you have the Nationals, you have the DC United, and the Capitals, and you can also add uh, the Mystics, Sticks, the Go Go, um, and even the teams in Baltimore, Ravens and Orioles. So they're. There's so many different attentions that are diverted, and there's not a swift public demand to remove them as there should be. That's how I see it. Uh, and with Snyder still being there now, he's trying to you know, you know, use Allen as a scapegoat. And Bruce Allen, I mean, the emails that were that came out were very damning and very. 
disrespectful and you know he definitely should take a lot of heat but Snyder is no angel baby right right um um, I was hoping um that maybe with this new batch of emails and things coming back out that maybe people will start turning and looking back at this report and uh, trying to figure out a why nothing why everything was like okay nothing to see here we find him 10 million dollars and we took control of the team from him and uh yeah he's gonna focus on the stadium and not the day-to-day operations uh and they didn't even uh have any um recorded uh testimonies or anything like that like everything was like word of mouth so um yeah it's, it's a lot of funny things going on with this Washington football team investigation uh, when it comes to Dan Snyder and him being able to uh, keep his his franchise underneath him when others have had their franchise taken for far less. Um, The evolution of Lamar Jackson is being televised and we are all witnesses. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, he had an all-time game against the Colts. uh, 86% completion percentage over 400 yards passing four touchdowns uh, brought the team back uh, from a double digit fourth quarter deficit uh, to win in overtime against the Colts Um, then uh, this week against the Chargers he was just efficient Um, didn't really have the gaudy numbers but he just quarterbacked the game uh, the way he needed to manage the game the running game was working so you know he didn't put the ball in peril didn't put anything in danger and uh, he's got the Ravens right up in the thick of it as far as best teams in the league, a Super Bowl contending, you know, after six weeks, um, right there at the front of the MVP race, uh, just due to all the injuries that the Ravens have had during the offseason and into the regular season so far. So, um, yeah, if you thought what happened two years ago was spectacular, uh, I think we haven't seen anything yet when it comes to Lamar Jackson and where his ceiling now resides. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know, forget that he's young and he's he hasn't even entered his full prime yet. And so we are seeing a whole evolution, a new form of Lamar Jackson and it's fun to watch like he, he's electric and I think a lot of people you know are just kind of like blown away by it but it's definitely not it's not surprising um, you know we knew eventually he would get better in the pocket we knew that he still had, you know, electric moves. And he the game is slowing down for him, too. And now that the game is slowing down and he's, you know, more acclimated to the NFL speed, as if he wasn't when he won the MVP the first time, he's going to have a few more MVPs in that trophy case. So, um, you know, will he reach? He may reach three-time MVP. He may be four-time MVP, it is definitely possible with the way that uh, Lamar Jackson plays, definitely. The Arizona Cardinals, the lone undefeated team in the whole NFL right now, 
six and zero behind Kyler Murray, two headed running back combination duo they got out there with James Conner, and I can't forget I keep forgetting their other dude's name. Um, Kyle, what's that kid's let name? Me, let me take a look, y'all. But it's uh yeah so Cliff Kingsbury uh, reevaluated situation in the off season said that Edmonds Chad Edmonds yes Edmonds there you go said that they needed to uh, be more balanced they needed to run the ball a lot more effectively and uh, that's exactly what they've done this year um, and uh, Kyler Murray's taking another step in his growth um, along with. Uh, acquiring AJ Green to go with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, the defense has always been uh, one of the better defenses when it comes to creating turnovers and and getting sacks. But now they've got this offense to kind of go with it, and uh, they and, and Cliff Kingsbury is possessing the ball enough where he's not wearing his defense down because they're scoring so fast. So right now, man, Arizona uh, seems to be in line to really make a lot of noise in the NFC. And with Russell Wilson being hurt, uh, they could definitely distance themselves from the Seahawks. And uh, they've already beaten the Rams once head-to-head. So they've got the division pretty much on lock uh, when it comes to um, you know, winning that division and possibly have a home field advantage throughout the whole playoffs. Definitely. Uh, they got one. They got a tough one in two weeks. Uh, Thursday night against probably one of the best Thursday night games we're going to see all season. Um, Green Bay comes uh, the desert. Um, and then looking at the rest of the way here, um, they really have until they have the Cowboys in week 17 in Dallas. Yeah, in Dallas, week 17. And then and then they get a rematch with the Rams on Monday night at home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, looking, I mean, they've – this team can do some special things. Hopefully they can – lift that Arizona curse. I mean, we saw the Suns lose the NBA Finals. We saw the Mercury lose the WNBA Finals on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Shout out uh, to the Chicago uh, Sky. Ken Sparker, yes. Miss Jade to the Max, celebrating just like she wanted to, like she played. Yes. <laughs> get, get, get Jade her ring, definitely. Um, I, I was at the bar. With, I was at the bar on my birthday watching this game, like, after – after the Panthers made me hate football for the third straight week, um, drown my sorrows in the Miller Light. I definitely decided to watch this um, Chicago Sky game, and uh, the WNBA Finals game four. I was a little disappointed that they put this game in on Sunday afternoon during the NFL during the NFL. Um, um, you know, week seven or week six, I should say, seven or six, it's week six. six. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really disappointed in um, ESPN, WNBA or uh, WNBA in general. Um, I think this should have been prime time on ESPN. I mean, yeah, you got the Sunday night game, but at least you may have had more viewership. But shout out to everybody on my timeline. 
I think I did see a lot more people invested in this game a little bit more than NFL Sunday, honestly. Um, once I realized um, Phoenix lost that game, and I pointed out that the Suns and Mercury both lost the finals, I did not expect the whole world to kind of respond to that. And my mentions were flooded for a couple of days oh, about that. You got Twitter famous. Yeah. <laughs> Unintentionally, definitely was not trying to be that. Um, and don't, yeah, it's good. To, it's good that you know you get people who are verified checks and things of that sort to respond. But of course, with the verified checks come a whole lot of people you don't want in your mentions and i literally i literally mentioned phoenix the suns and mercury and i had a three-day long debate about lebron (laughs) Uh, and i was just like i i don't want this life this is not for me (laughs) so uh i want to just keep my keep my little timeline and just go from there but um but yeah, back to the Cardinals though. They're playing some great football. Um it's you know, you watch this team, they they they're efficient and effective on the offensive side. And from the moment Chandler Jones had three sacks on the Taylor the Watt and the Titans, I just knew there was he has to have a race with JJ Watt or something on that on that line because I don't. It, was, it got to the point where I was wondering if Taylor Lewan and Ryan Tannehill had some beef because I'm just sitting here like he's just letting this man just attack him, man. From that week one game that I witnessed and uh, and just seeing everything get followed up after that. I mean, the toughest game they had was the 49ers game, but they they won ugly. They won big. And they've done it the same way. Um, we'll just talk about our respective matchups going into week seven. Not really a lot of good games this week. Um, a lot of uh, really good teams going against a lot of bad teams. Uh, one in particular, uh, Green Bay coming in to face Washington uh, this week. Uh, Washington, uh, big disappointment, especially where it comes to or Washington on the road, excuse me, going to Green Bay. Big disappointment uh, defensively, um, you know, just not the unit that the people predicted they would be um, one of the better units of the of the of the um, league and being able to kind of win games via your defense, getting enough offense to sustain. And, and uh, Jalen Smith was so close to coming to the team. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really down to three teams that Jalen Smith was interested in. Um, it came down to Washington, Carolina actually, and Green Bay. Green Bay he chose Green Bay. Jalen Smith would help, but it that would only be like fixing one seventh of the problem because our whole back seven minus Cole Holcomb, so that would only be fixing like one sixth of the problem. It's really bad, dude. The secondary and linebacker is is terrible. Chase Young is doing what Young 
um, players who had a lot of success in their first year getting sacks do. All they're trying to do is get sacks. He's not playing no responsibilities on run. He's not playing like, hey, we're playing Patrick Mahomes. You know, the best way to sack Patrick Mahomes, let your big guys in the middle get close to him, and then your ends come from the sides and close up the pocket so he can't run. He just falls down and collapses. No, Chase Young, he wants to freaking rush her wide like every time or drop way far inside and give on third down uh, Pat Mahomes a natural running lane to get out of the pocket and burn you on the first down three times in a row. It's like, come on, man. Right. Play the defense. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is Patrick Mahomes. You can't go – Leaving big gaps. You can't do. You can't do with Patrick Mahomes what you can do with Daniel Jones. Right, right, right. Because he's gonna run right where you're supposed to be. So, um, definitely hugely disappointed in Washington so far. I think Taylor Heineke's kind of Taylor. Uh, here's the deal on Taylor Heineke. If you can, if Taylor Heineke keeps himself in the pocket, he limits his effectiveness as quarterback. If Taylor Heineke gets out of the pocket, runs. And makes plays, you know, scrambling or moving around, then then they can at least be exciting and move the ball and score points. The two games they looked the worst, they played Buffalo and last week where they played um, Kansas City, whose defense isn't really that good. But they did a good job of not letting him run. And he did a kind of a, a poor job of keeping himself in the pocket. And he just wasn't accurate. Uh, did not have a good day throwing the ball. There were guys open. He just 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 wasn't a good wasn't a good game plan from Scott Turner. Wasn't a good execution from the players. Um, totally a disappointing effort from offense when you're going up against you know statistically the worst defense in the league, uh, which the Chiefs were last week. Um, the Panthers. Are you guys on bye week this week? No, no we are at the Meadowlands. Football giant. So, uh, Dave Gettleman uh, gets to see, uh, you know, a lot of his old work from the Panthers um, as they come in to play the Giants. Um, what do you think so far? Started out 3-0. Now Christian McCaffrey got hurt, and now you're 0-3. Not surprising. But uh, just kind of give a state of the Panthers after six games. Uh, so... We've gotten, we've re, we've had good Sam and we've had bad Sam, um, and with good Sam we have had a healthy McCaffrey, and with uh, an injured McCaffrey we have seen a we've seen the Jets Sam Darnold basically, and it's very crazy because ESPN. Literally, like the night before the Dallas game, they uh, David Newton of ESPN put out an article about Sam Darnold exercising his demons from the Jets. Then they lose to Dallas. Um, uh, that game, they really did. They it was a bad. They had a bad quarter, and uh, Trey, you know, Trayvon Diggs had two interceptions. He's been a uh, Shut down corner, by the way. Um, but the first intercession was a very bad throw. The second intercession was more on DJ War for it was a tug of war. And all you got to do is just have 
demonstrate possession, you know, show at least you have 50% of the ball. So the refs can make a difficult decision to say simultaneous possession goes to the receiver. Uh, but no, you, he let Trayvon Diggs kind of just snatch the ball uh, away from him. Uh, also, a lot of this, too, I got to blame the O-line and the receivers. Uh, the O-line is very, it's still very porous. They really need to address the same way they address all the defensive positions in the draft a couple years ago. They need to uh, apply that to the offensive line, at least get get some better offensive line because it's just not, I mean, either Darnold's running for his life or he can't get a throw off. And then I also blame the receivers too because I can count on more, on more than two hands. So, Past 10, I think the Panthers receivers dropped about 13 passes in in the game on Sunday against the Vikings. And, and that's unacceptable. Robbie Anderson had at least three. And it's hard to move the ball when your receivers are just dropping everything right in front. Like, they're lit. And it's not one of those, you, you know, you're – the defense is influencing it. Like these are wide open plays, and they're simply dropping it. And how are you going to win games when your quarterback throws a good pass and you drop it? So that's what was disgusting about that. I really mailed that game in. Uh, it really, literally took them fifty nine minutes and twenty seconds to get a deficient drive down the field, and they only had to do that because the game was on the line. And, yeah, it was. And then I think the defense was just gassed in overtime, which led to the Vikings just marching down the field and getting a touchdown. But O-line needs a block. Uh, it's a porous O-line. Uh, and then the receivers need to catch the ball in. Donald does have to be more accurate, and you know if you can be accurate by catching the ball, there you go. All right, so we'll be looking out for that going forward with the Panthers. Um, Christian McCaffrey on IR, going to miss at least three more games. Starting to become a disturbing trend. If you're a Carolina Panther fan, Christian McCaffrey fan, uh, with how much time he's spending on the uh, disabled list, so. Um, after he got the money, maybe uh, maybe a situation where they might want to think about um, some other moves. I know it won't be very popular, but it could probably lead to a lot more long term success uh, for your whole football team, uh, since it seems to be they're so dependent offensively on McCaffrey's health and him being a part of the lineup. Uh, just something that, mm-hmm. that that they should probably really consider in the off season. Um, at this time, Dwayne, I'm turning it over to you, buddy, for your shout-outs, thank yous, and final thought. Uh, so, thank you for all the uh, birthday love that I received. Uh, it really made my day. Uh, Sunday was a great day. 
forward to start at 37 for me and I could not be more blessed um, got to uh, of course um, talk to my parents talk to my family talk to my grandfather and and then of course you know the love that I received from everybody all over thank you I definitely appreciate that uh, final thoughts would be college basketball the um, the rankings came out last week, and Gonzaga is once again number one. Um, and then UCLA is number two. Kansas is three, and then uh, trying to see who else rounded out the top five here, and. And uh, still, oh, uh, yeah, there's no new timelines. Oh, uh, yeah, there's no new timelines in the um, investigation, in the investigation into Kansas. Um, <laughs> I wish the NCAA would hurry up with that because. <laughs> all right. So here we go. Um, I'm going to just rattle all, the, all 25 out real quick here. Gonzaga, UCLA, Kansas, Villanova, Texas, Michigan Six, Purdue, Baylor, Duke, Kentucky. Illinois starts at 11, Memphis, Oregon, Alabama, Houston. Arkansas starts 16, Ohio State, Tennessee, North Carolina, Florida State. And then last uh, five, Maryland, Auburn, St. Bonaventure, UConn, and Virginia. Um, but college Basketball is on the horizon as we are getting into November. Uh, a lot of schools already had their uh, midnight uh, madness, uh, late night at your whatever your event is called. <laughs> your school likely has had it already, and I'm you know it's another year of college basketball. Uh, the teams are the teams that um, you know we we love. We are ready for um, the season tips off November six. Uh, Kansas and Michigan State and Kentucky and Duke in the Champions Classic. A uh, and T opens up on. November or November 9th, I should say, is the start of the season. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be a good time. It's going to be very fun going all the way to March, seeing what happens with with um, the college basketball season. I'm excited. I can't wait. And I know you can't either. Uh, last year for Coach K this year, he's going to uh, be retiring. Yes, it is. First year for Hubert Davis at North Carolina. Uh, so, yes, uh, changing of the guard in college basketball uh, starts this season uh, here in the ACC. So, we're going to see how that uh, plays out. Um, I'd just like to give a shout-out to you, Dwayne, for uh, being able to uh, make some time to talk a little bit of sports with me here on, on the score. Thank you to everybody. Always. CSPN, uh, 
everybody involved with the Comic Book Chronicles, everybody involved with the WrestleCast, RawCast, SmackDown Matters, um, NXT Cast. Greatly appreciate everybody's Crown time. Crown was effort. good. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, my final thought is NASCAR. We're coming down to the uh, end of the season. We're in the uh, home stretch uh, of the uh, season here. Playoffs are um, in full swing. Kyle Larson has punched his ticket to be a part of the final foursome, his final race in Phoenix. Um, looks like, um, you know, he's pretty much going to be the favorite to uh, win the championship when we get to that race. And uh, if he does pull that off, uh, the story of his redemption uh, will be one that's told and probably will get a lot more in-depth as far as uh, everything that he did to uh, come back from uh, those comments that he made a couple of years ago during the iRacing um, and uh, his his rehabilitation and ultimately, uh, you know, reaching his full potential as a race car driver. It's the most wins he's ever had in the season uh, in NASCAR. Uh, as a full-time Cup Series driver, and he could possibly uh, top it all off with the championship as well. So we'll see how the playoffs play out, see if we can get some more drama like we got between uh, Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick a couple of weeks ago at the Roval, and uh, see if we can keep uh, NASCAR on the forefront of the headlines when it comes to sports as they wrap up their season. All right. So, oh, wait. Before oh, yes, we go, before we go, um, there are six schools that are going to join the American in 2024. This all is the domino effect from Oklahoma, Texas going to the SEC in the 2024. Uh, of course, Big 12, they're going to get Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston, which will, and then the American is picking up Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, North Texas. Texas San Antonio, UTSA, Rice, and UAB. All right. Yep. So we've got a lot of uh, dominoes um, falling because ACC, they're trying to expand and and get a bunch of teams into. So, yeah, the college of the landscape of uh, all these colleges are about to change again here in the next three to four years once this uh, Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC thing gets in full swing. So. Good luck to all of those, uh, you know, teams and fan bases who are about to, like, have all their traditions, like, turned upside down. Gone. <laughs> so, for my co-host, Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.